The Enid Keno Health and Wellbeing Centre is due to open this summer. For the past two years, the former Le Kenneve School has been boarded up and behind that hoarding, workers have been turning classrooms into consultancy rooms, examination rooms into examination rooms. Under the previous government's Our Hospital plans, the old school on the edge of Clodet's Sable was due to be a temporary home for services currently at Overdale, including the Child Development Therapy Centre, Audiology, Pain and Memory Assessment. That's still the plan, although these services are likely to be there for a lot longer than the initial five years first envisaged. It's likely to become a familiar place for thousands of islanders in need of care, but how familiar are we with Enid Kenno? the former politician who served St Brellard and the island for many, many years. Now in her 90s, Mrs Kenno is still fit, well and active in the community, particularly as a member of the congregation at Bethesda Methodist Chapel in St Wands Bay. Mrs Kenno entered politics when women were in a distinct minority, serving three terms as deputy from 1975 and another three as parish conatable. Politics was in her DNA, with her father Arthur Charles Kerry serving as deputy of St Juan from 1960 to 1972, and her brother Arthur serving as conatable of that parish for two terms in the 80s and 90s, and following in Mrs Kenno's footsteps with her daughter Anne, who served as deputy of Trinity for four terms until 2018. I met Enid at a peaceful bungalow along a winding lane in St Brellard, close to the home where she and her late husband Ernest had farmed and raised their family, which now includes five grandchildren and nine great-grandchildren. I started by asking her if she was surprised that a new health centre had been named after her. It was a complete surprise. I knew, of course, that there was going to be a community centre, but uh, then the constable phoned me and said that uh, my name had been suggested but along with men, with others, and they were going to choose. I didn't think any more of it, actually, because I thought, well, there's quite a few. And then uh, I heard it on the radio <laughs> that I'd been chosen. So this was a, a, a real honour, and uh, you know, I never expected anything like that. But I, and, and did the constable quite... explain why you'd been selected? Well, he said I'd, I'd, I mean, I'd been in the parish a long time and been constable and done a lot for the parish. And so th that was probably the reason. But, um, I mean, I, I did, you know, I loved the parish and it was really lovely. We were a real team. So there's a good opportunity to talk about your career in politics and your career with the parish. If we roll back the years, tell me when, when your relationship with the parish municipality first began? Well, it began really with my husband, who was um, a constable's officer for many years. And of course, I got involved in the things in the parish when he was um, a constable's officer. And I enjoyed it. He loved it too. St. Bernard's is a lovely parish. And then I no more thought of uh, going into politics at all, really. And then one day, when one morning, Saturday morning, I think it was, I was busy at the knock at the door, it was the constable. And he said, can I speak to you? So he came in and he said, I, I want you to take as deputy. I mean, that wouldn't, now that wouldn't be uh, done. Uh, there was a, a new seat being uh, involved in St. Ballard's. So he said, I want you to take that new seat. But anyway, that didn't come about this, that time because 
Sir Robert Merritt decided that he would take, of course, when I knew that, well, I said, certainly let him take, because he's a diplomat, you know. And what year was it? What year are we talking about here, roughly? This was 19... I, I was elected in 1975, so this was 72. Right. And uh, so Sir Robert Merritt, I supported him, and he became deputy. And then the new seat came along, so I took that in 75 had a deputation, there was always a deputation asking me to stand whenever the elections came up. So, so different now, it really is. And was that a contested election? Not the first one, no, because it was a new seat. Right. Percy Luce had the other seat. And, uh, yeah. and what, were the, what were the parish issues of the day back in 75 when you were first elected? I've been involved a lot in, in community things. I was on the Wren Tribunal before that, and they're talking of resurrecting it now. And Sir Robert Lamasria was chairman, lovely, lovely man. And um, I was on the Children's Subcommittee, on the Housing uh, Applications Committee. So I'd done a lot of work in the States beforehand, so I knew a little bit about it. But uh, when you actually go in, it's a bit different. And tell me about the makeup of the state's assembly back then. Were there many women in the states? I think we were about four, right. four or five. Because uh, Gwyneth Hewlin was a great character. She was a lovely person, Jane Sanderman. So we had some notable women at that time. But, uh, and was it a struggle against the majority men or were you accepted no, welcome? I never had any problems. They always accepted me. I mean, some say they've had problems, but I never had any problems. And what did you serve on? Which committees when you joined the States did I you? I went on um, housing with John Marcon, which was all lovely, and with Reg Jeanne on education. And with housing, obviously we hear a lot about a housing crisis now. Presumably that was the period of definitely the state's loan scheme and the expansion of some of the, perhaps some of the housing estates like Claude Sable and others now that we right, consider yeah. have been around for years, yes, but they, they, right, they, yeah. they were, we were working on those then. Yes, that, we worked on the last one. The last one was Claude Orange. And I think that was the last one of 30,000. After that, they just shot up. But they kept that price for that estate. But, uh, but they, it was a time of a need as well. I mean, housing has always been a sort of priority. And so you had housing problems then with people oh, who couldn't afford accommodation? Yes. Oh, and... yes, and we used to have um, surgery every week to meet people who uh, had problems with housing, who wanted houses. And of course, we also had a committee which I was on, which was very uh, entertaining, really, of meeting uh, rich residents who wanted to come into the island. Our one one case. Yeah, and we used to have to interview them, and that's all changed now. But you made some fascinating. Two characters who came, which was really, you know, great. Well, I don't even say fun, really, but it was interesting. And I know this is a loaded question, but would you say that the committee system then worked for the island at that time? Oh, much, much better. I wish they'd go back to it. 
and why? Well, you were seven on the committee, the president, vice president, and five members. Whenever there was anything to, to the, the committee brought up, for example, education, schools and that, you discussed it at committee level, formed a consensus, and you, you, were, you had your support. You went to the States knowing that your committee supported you. Um, it, it was so much better, and everybody in the States who'd been elected had a place. I think the presidents used to meet ev before every new states and allocate seats on committees to those who didn't have who hadn't been invited so everyone was invited to a committee and they actually felt they were part of it now the backbenchers are really on their own aren't they you know yes the the, the, the committee the system was was good and tell me so you worked on housing and is that that's in your first term? Yes, and, and uh, education. I was twelve years on both. Right, and were you were you president of education at that point, or was I, that later? No, no, no. Rajan. Rajan. Yes. At the end, I was vice president. Phil Moreau was um, president at the end, and then the um, I went on the health committee with John Lamarckon when he moved from housing, and that was really we. Um, we built the, the new wing of the hospital at that time and uh, also went to, to uh, England around the hospitals to see the MRIs because the island needed an MRI so we went around hospitals looking at it and we finally got one for the island. So it's very interesting times. And tell me some of the characters in the States then, you've mentioned some of them like Reg Jun. Presumably Ralph Vibert was in the yeah. States then as well. That, what was the makeup? Was it mainly f farmers or retired farmers or was there a real cross-section no, of there expertise? No, cross there was uh, business people. I mean, you had uh, Senator Dupre, mm. who was the uh, who had the fish shop at Orvis, you know, in the, and he used to have a surgery outside his shop. You'd see him in the lunch hour with parishioners around him asking him questions. While he was selling fish? Yeah. <laughs> Um, and of course, a great character was John Marco. Yes, I mean he was a great orator, really. When he spoke, he'd be in the aisle, arms going, and and everything. You know, he was really great. And Ralph Vibert also was uh, such a good politician. Reg John, um, Clarence Farley. You know, it was a time when we had these business people who brought their knowledge to the States. And they'd had experience in business and they, they knew what they were on about. So you served you served two terms as a deputy, is that right? Twelve years. Twelve years, three, three, terms. three terms. Three terms. And then after that, is that when you became the mother of the parish? You, you became Conetalb? Yes, that's right, yes. And I served three terms, twelve years of that as well. And what was the difference? That was there a significant difference in being a deputy of the parish to being the head of the parish? Yes, it was. They're quite different because you were in charge of the parish, and uh, you know had an open door policy. And parishioners used to come in and talk and uh, discuss their problems. Uh, it it was really it was grand. You you got to know so many people. 
and you could do so much sort of for the parish. Did quite a lot with the Jurassic Grove Centre, which was there. We renovated all that and built some flats there. There was it was you could do quite so much uh, for the parish. We renovated the the parish hall as well and um, made two flats of the original. Um, one flat has been there for the caretaker. And tell me a little bit about life out of state as well, because you were very involved, am I right, in the Stanley Women's Conference as well? I was, yes. So, so tell me about that. That was uh, the Standing Conference was uh, consisted of most of the women's organisations in the island. We had 21 or 22 organisations belonging to Standing Conference. And we met, um, I think it is every two months, to discuss things that, uh, that needed to be done. We were the ones who set up the um, Meals on Wheels. Monica Becker, who was one of our members, was responsible for that. Uh, this was asked by the Constable of St Helia if we'd do that for him. That was a very good thing to do that. We also instigated the need for an MRI which is one I was able to process when I was um, on the health committee. Um, the, at that time also, at the very beginning, you wouldn't believe this, there were no women police. And when a lady had brought in and been arrested, I think that there was a problem, they had to bring somebody in. But then we pushed for, to have women police and um, that was all part of the standing conference. There were so many things we were able to initiate. And was there, at that time, was there a, 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 a other voices for, for women? Is it something that you really felt as though was needed to to, to progress equality and, and yes, fairness for all? Yes, because there weren't really many women in the States. And we were a voice, really. And the politicians took notice. We were invited to go and meet them on different subjects and things so it was I was president for quite a long time of that and it was really um, it's really a lovely time do you feel as though you you played a small part I'm sure you know you have, you have plenty of humility in it but um, you did play a part in forwarding women's issues in Jersey well I, I between us yes. yeah standing conference was a, we, we were a powerful voice really a powerful group um, the council of St Helia was very good. We had our meetings in the committee room of the town hall. And that was Fred Clark at the time. Uh, he gave us a bad on earth for our 25th. And so we were recognised as um, the main body. It's very sad that it's dwindled, you know, but it, it has sort of finished and uh, well, times change. Times change. Mm. Or may, also maybe you, you achieved a lot of your aims, so... It may have been. We never achieved really lucky. Tried to get chairs for people in the shops. But elderly people going shopping like to sit down. We tried and tried, but we never really got around to that. It was one of our failures, I think. <laughs> one of few, I'm sure. There weren't many. Tell me about um, in the States as well as Conatub. Did you hold some presidencies then or committees? I was president of Broadcasting Committee. Right, and it was at a time when BBC Jersey was perhaps set up? Yes, I was president when the decision was made to um, uh, have the BBC because the, um, the other station wanted to 
have the franchise as well. So we had the discussion in the States. And, uh, well, well, the BBC one. And uh, I was able to go to London with uh, Edward Potter, who was Greffier, to sign the things. And it was Christmas time, actually, and we were invited to go to the BBC Christmas lunch that they had with all these celebrities, which was a, a lovely occasion. And now the BBC is yes, flourishing all that the time. Old, the old station? I remember there was, uh, at Rouge Bouillon, there was That's a right, station there. Yes. Yeah. And the lift, it was on the top story. And it was a very tiny lift, a very old lift, but it worked. But when it came to um, the chairman of the BBC coming to open the station, there was a problem because he was so large. And we almost had to push him into the lift <laughs> to get him in. <laughs> Going back to St. Brelard and your link with the parish. Have you always lived in St. Brelard? No, we live in Valdemar. Uh, we moved here in 53. Right. So you lived your first life in, in, St. Valdemar, in yes, St. Juan, yes, just yes. in St. Juan. Yes, yeah. And tell me about those early days. Presumably you were here during the occupation. Yeah. Uh, and you were, were you a schoolgirl then or were you, uh, what were you doing then? Yes, I was at school. And did school carry on throughout the occupation? Uh, it, yes, there wasn't. I was at the girls' collegiate in, in St. Helier. And, um, of course, when the occupation came, we couldn't get into town, no buses. So I went to St. Worms for a year. And then, because I wanted to go into teaching, my father managed to get me into the intermediate school, which was well-known for producing teachers. So I was there for a lovely school. I really enjoyed it for the rest of the occupation. Um, but it, it was, uh, for the children, it was a good time, really. We uh, we were able to go, I mean, give the Germans their due. They never interfered, really, with a problem with the people. We could go on our bikes, we'd be gone all the morning, come back for lunch, go on the beaches. But then after a time, the beaches were... Uh, Out of bounds. Mines, yes. Mm. But uh, when they were building the bunkers at St. Juan's Bay, we used to take an old pram, Arthur and I and Joan, my cousin, and we'd go in our oldest clothes with our pram along the beach and we'd pick up pieces of wood that they'd sort of sawn off the ends and the Germans never said anything. They just let us pick them up and put them in, our, in the pram to take back for the firewood. And you said you went into teaching after that, is that right? I didn't know. You didn't I know. I went into banking. But, um, yes, it was, I, we, I did take the school certificate at that time. Yes. We took the first one after the war. I could have gone to university, but I decided that I'd go into banking. And so I was in banking. And then when I got married, we had the farm, and we came up here in 1953. And then you... Before you went into politics, you were obviously a, a mother and a farmer's yes. wife. But I was also very involved in the church. Yes. Uh, right from my childhood, really, brought up in the church and became a Sunday school teacher and became a local preacher. And that was a very good background to uh, the work that I was doing later on. It, it was a great help. And that's something that's stayed stayed with you for the for your whole life, your your bond, your link, my your faith, relationship with the church. My, my Christian faith has been a, 
uh, really something that I've built on and and you know it's, it's carried me through because there were times when I was constable there were problems there were problems when I was elected it wasn't a very happy election there were four of us and uh, there were things that um, came up that, sh that shouldn't have come up and it was a very difficult time the parish had just had been taken to the courts for uh, about the rates for quite a few on few occasions and so people weren't talking to each other in the office and it was a very difficult time and this is where my Christian faith made such a difference I was able to feel that I had the strength behind me to tackle this and it's and you steadied the ship no it took a time six months it took me yes to uh, work things out and um, but yes do you still keep a, a an eye on parish affairs and and oh, and I the like wider to, affairs like of the to states go to parish meetings yes if i can if we know about them they don't advertise them now like they used to <laughs> but uh, yes I, I still do i listen to the states i'm still very interested yes in the states i know it's very different but uh, do you think the island is in a is in is it in a stronger position now than it was when you were in the States? Or do you think that things are, are, are not quite what they should be? At that time that I was in the 1970s, 1980s, there was plenty of money. And, you know, it made such a difference. We were able to get things done. Schools were built and hospital extension and homes and... And that that sort of made a lot of difference. So from that point of view, it was it was easier than all the, the problems that uh, exist now. But there'll always be problems. It doesn't matter. The housing was still the difficult one. And of course, when you were a politician as well, <laughs> people weren't paid, no. and it was a lot of people had second or had main careers. Yes. Well, Do you think that was a help or a hindrance? I think it was a help because, you know, they, they were able to keep in touch with the business side of things. Thinking of Clary Dupre, example, with his fish shop. He was there with his apron at lunchtime after coming up from the States. And he was able to, uh, you know, meet people. And and they had the business. John Le Marcon had his, um, his shop, you know, he's still there. At, in the uh, cheap side but they brought the expertise to the states their business expertise at no cost do you think the island is more complex now in terms of regulation bureaucracy oh, yes, much, much was things simpler back then yeah, much simpler yes yes you didn't have all the uh, things that there are now you know you didn't, we didn't have freedom of information and all this kind of thing. There was there was no need, you know. You, yes, it it was it was a different. The island was smaller as well, fewer people. And I mean, in the parish, you know, I knew I knew, virtually, most of the people in the parish. And uh, but now, of course, it's grown so much. It's it's a different uh, thing altogether. But just to, to finish, Ian, you, you still think Jersey is a, a lovely community? You still see evidence of, of Jersey at its oh, best? Yes, yes. 
I think we've, we've got some very good people who are working hard, uh, doing their best. It's not easy with all the laws and rules that there are now and all the things that are going on in the world around us that do have a bearing, you know, on the... Um, and now with the freight as well, that's costing so much. In the old days, we had the mailboats, you know, that you could rely on. They knew they'd be coming in at that time in the morning. Um, yes, life has changed completely. And one's had to change with it. But uh, I think they're doing, they're doing their best now. It's not an easy job to do. And, um, you know, they need all the help and all the prayers that they can have, I think to help them on their journey. Thanks to Enid Kenno for talking with me today. And thank you for listening to the Bailiwick podcast. You can find the podcast on all the usual pod places. And don't forget to like and share. Tune in next week for more.